G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Thursday, always love to tap into the insights from Charles Newington, the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Charles is back with us once again. Hi, Charles. Welcome along. Uh, Good morning, Neil. Charles, the media, the public attention, it's all focused on COVID-19, the coronavirus, and with obvious good reason, it's the source of tremendous anxiety around Australia, not only because of the health impacts, but also the financial and social impacts. Let's talk a little bit of context here about what's going on around the world. Uh, Of course, uh, share markets have taken a real beating, haven't they? What are your thoughts and your impressions about the, the bigger, broader context of how these things are going on? Yes, thank you, Neil. The phrase uncharted waters kind of rings around in my mind a lot these days because uh, that's how it seems and what has happened in the stock market and you, people may be aware of this or they may not be that that on the stock market one of the things that's been developing over recent years is that um, that the stock market traders they have uh, uh, they do their trades based upon uh, computerized algorithms uh, that they preset so that uh, these computer trades uh, they happen when something happens that they that they've decided is maybe um, uh, evidence that there's going to be a fall on the market or a fall on a particular stock. So um, all these trades are not just um, people sitting there making a personal judgment anymore. They're these computerized programs that are 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 acting in a very quick response to whatever the triggers are, and so. They're dispassionate. They're, they're they're not considered. They're they're kind of uh, they're mechanical um, trades, and um, and the intention is that they would avoid market volatility, market volatility, and uh, moves move investments to you know safer safer stocks, etc. But what that does, what they've discovered is that what this is doing is it's actually increasing the volatility of the stock market. So uh, in, uh, it's not just defending, uh, you know, a, a person's uh, um, holdings from volatility. It's actually creating a volatility. And, uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why we've seen these very huge uh, swings backwards and forwards uh, across the stock market because it's 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 machines doing it for us rather than rather than the traders themselves directly. Let's so talk. It, it, yep. That's one of these. You know, one of the things about the big crises is things, certain un, you know unanticipated things get thrown up and. Uh, and you realise that the world's been uh, created for for fair weather, but when it runs through foul weather, all sorts of things happen. Okay, there's lots of tensions developing around the world. Uh, I mean, we've seen oil prices plummeting, uh, not always at our petrol pump, pumps, but uh, the global oil prices have been uh, taking a dive, a big hit, but there's all sorts of factors involved in there, and coronavirus seems to have set the scene, but there's uh, these other challenges that are going on uh, internationally. Uh, what are your thoughts yeah. about the, the oil prices? 
Yes, the um, the oil producing uh, nations have their representative meetings every now and again, and recently they met in Vienna, and uh, they were responding to the decline in demand caused by the coronavirus for things like aerofuel and things like that. You know, less less um, less planes flying and that sort of stuff. So. They they work together to try to keep the prices stable or whatever, um, or up, you know, uh, mm-hmm. higher than we, we... We always complain about why the prices are, are, are as high as they are. Well, these guys sort of try to keep the prices up. And um, and um, Saudi was trying to do that. They they, they chair the OPEC group, and, and Russia rejected this, uh, saying, no, it's time to let the market set the value, set the, uh, set the value. And um, the response of Saudi was to to call Russia's bluff and to slash their price of oil to China, which was Russia's most important customer. So they went into a, a price war uh, with Russia directly over this big market in, in China. And, and as a result of that, the oil price dropped overnight 30% and the Dow lost 8% of its value. And so indirectly, that was a kind of COVID um, caused. Uh, but it's one of those kind of things that, you know, you, it's very hard to anticipate. And I, I, I suppose what I'm getting at here is that what is happening in the world, sometimes we feel... Um, Part of our anxiety is because we're not quite sure what's going to happen. You know, we we can't necessarily predict what's going to happen in our private lives any more than the stock market can predict it or the oil market can predict exactly how it's going to happen when you hit troubled waters. Back home, Charles, of course, there's all sorts of chaos at some supermarkets and it's not been everybody's experience, but uh, of course there are some supermarkets and uh, those uh, specific products that are in high demand, uh, sometimes you can't get a hold of them, like hand sanitizer, and people have been battling to get a hold of some toilet rolls and things like that. That seems a little bit insignificant compared to some of the biggest things that we're talking mm. about from around the world. Yes. But, but our government, our leaders are concerned about controlling infection Infection and and uh, one of the ways they want to do that is try and keep people at work as long as they can. Uh, what are your thoughts around the context here? Yes, this is the challenge that fa- that government faces is that um, if if um, if they lock everything down and shut everything down, then em- employment uh, and um, you know income, people's private income, just um, stops. And if that happens, well then the whole economy stalls and they've got to find the balance between uh, keeping the economy going and uh, on the one hand and on the other hand uh, trying to set in motion the kind of social uh, distancing for instance that that uh, that that minimizes the infection levels and uh, and one of the reasons for them keeping schools going is because of the fact that um, that it's such a massive industry there's so much that's dependent upon it so they're trying to find the the the, the kind of that fine balance point about uh, about how you how you don't stop an entire industry, as it were, um, um, and it's, it's a difficult decision. Something that we must be, we must be, uh, you know, we must be sympathetic and prayerful about, and praying for government that they'll get the balance right in these difficult decisions. And that's how it is for us too, privately. We have these difficult decisions. How much exposure do we have? How much social interaction do we have? And how much should we not have? Not just for our own health sake, but for the for the health of others. Let's talk about the Prime Minister and his comments about the COVID-19 coronavirus, a once-in-a-hundred-year event. 
Uh, he's making some references back to uh, World War Two and uh, post World War One. Yeah, uh, World War One, of course. Uh, yes, the Spanish flu. Uh, it was pretty significant, and um, we're all hopeful that it's not going to be that bad with COVID nineteen. What are your thoughts for the context here on just how serious this one is? Yes, well, he he doesn't actually he didn't actually say. Uh, the Spanish flu. He just said um, he, but so he sort of left us to think about it because one of the things that happened after World War One was that with a population of only four and a half million people, um, sixty thousand young men lost their lives in in World War One, and uh, of the two hundred and seventy-two thousand that that survived the war and that came back, a hundred and seventy thousand of them suffered wounds and illness. And uh, and so it it had a devastating impact upon uh, upon the nation. That's why when you drive through towns and villages, you see these memorials, and why it's such an important thing in the you know the whole Anzac tradition is so important to us because it, it there was not a family, not a, a town and community that was wasn't affected by it. And and then un you know unwittingly and obviously without any ill intent, as the troops were coming back, they brought the Spanish flu with them. And uh, so um, that that was in, uh, you know 1918, and the the extent of that was huge. It 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 uh, 40 percent of the the population fell ill as a result of it, and 15,000 died. Um, uh, and um, so we've uh, that's I think what he's referring to. He's saying it, it, it completely un, unanticipated. It just came out of the blue. Who was expecting it? But. It, it 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 was it was a kind of an unintended consequence of the of the war and um, and th- these things happen crisis happens and I think that for us you know we, we're lulled into a sense of uh, of security aren't we into thinking that the government's got it under control and the world's relatively stable and uh, we don't have anything to worry about and then something out of the blue happens and 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 it's such a shock to us because we're unaccustomed to crisis you know we live in this illusory state of stability and and that sort of de de um decommissions our capacity to deal with crisis Charles, you've drawn a connection of something we don't ordinarily talk about when Anzac Day rolls around, and that is the effects of pandemic uh, on those returning World War I soldiers. And uh, as you mentioned, somewhere in the vicinity of 15,000 died as a result of that Spanish flu coming to Australia uh, back in 1919. And uh, and so this coming Anzac Day, given that there won't be crowds gathering at the Cenotaph, uh, you're talking about the idea of Anzac Day services on every street corner, and this is something you're planning to do personally. Yes, I I, I was thinking about it personally, and um, and then last night on the news I heard that uh, uh, a son of a of a Vietnam vet. Um, he he just put the idea up on Facebook and sort of suggested it. And before he knew where he was, he had sixty thousand people like the idea, uh, and uh, he was just overwhelmed. And I'm one of those people, you know. I thought, you know, that that um, Anzac Day is a is a is an important day, and we can do it with appropriate social distancing, just in small groups on our street corners or whatever. I either happen to live on a street corner. I've got a very 
convenient kind of location, just the way that my my yard is shaped. And so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to putting a note in my neighbours' letterboxes and meeting them at dawn. <laughs> and a little encouragement to you here, Charles, if you've got some sort of order of service that you might be able to put together and get up on your uh, website, Family Voice Australia, no doubt uh, there'll be a lot of takers uh, who might be able to, you know, they might not feel confident uh, to run a service on their street corner, but uh, with a little support there and a, a little extra resource, I'm sure that there are lots of Aussies who could do that on their street corner, invite their neighbours uh, to meet on the street corner, and because you can't meet around the cenotaph, uh, nothing saying you can't commemorate Anzac Day, and as you say, uh, when we talk about the Spanish flu pandemic back in the end of World War One, uh, there is a real connection. And so we therefore uh, be very unwise to neglect the sorts of thoughts, sentiments, uh, gathering, commemoration that we might bring to Anzac Day. Uh, Charles, prayer initiatives. Uh, you've got a prayer initiative with Family Voice Australia. There's a huge prayer initiative that's been called by church leaders in the nation, and uh, I wonder whether you've got some thoughts around the need for Christians at this time to be very attentive to prayer for an end to coronavirus. I think it's important. Um, you know, I'm using the phrase, uh, you know, our prayer initiative, I'm using the, the phrase um, from the scripture that says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in, I'm in the midst. So using that phrase, wherever two or three are gathered, as a, as a way of... Of, uh, of making the point that that right from the very beginning of the Christian faith, faith was very personal. It was very, um, it, it was it was very family centred, if you like, and friendship centred. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that takes place in a huge uh, crowd or a gathering. It, 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 and there's something wonderful about it being localised and matching this with the Anzac Day memorial. It, it enables us to, uh, as as neighbours, you know, to gather together and to, to take an approach to prayer that's what we might call um, um, more uh, more understandable and and more uh, acceptable to people who don't necessarily habitually pray, but they have got in their hearts and minds a realisation that this is an important time, and if it was managed sensibly and sensitively, they'd, they'd be pleased to be a part of it. So I think that um, um, that's the, the, the dynamic of neighbourhood. But uh, before we get to the neighbourhood thing on Anzac Day, uh, I'd like to encourage us to begin to think about our extended families and particularly the members of our families that uh, live on their own, you know, the, uh, or, uh, or that are a bit more isolated, um, that uh, this is a great opportunity for us to just give them a call, see how they're going, stay in touch with them, and uh, and if there's anything practical we can do for them, that that we see what we can do to to, to help them in that regard, and uh, and and it it helps us to 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 kind of rebuild the family prayer uh, system. Uh, my folks, um, my my mother was a classic. She had, she used to pray through the whole family. <laughs> you know, it was part of her family. It was part of her her ritual, as it were, her her daily devotional. She and my father, they would just pray through the family list. And this is a good opportunity because it just reminds us. Oh, there's Uncle Bill. I'd forgotten about him. He's you know he's still on that property out such and such. That that sort of thing. It just brings these people back in, and we it's an opportunity once again in crisis for us to reconnect as family. 
families and to to realize that blood is thicker than water you know and uh, and that this is our primary association actually it's where we derive our actual biological identity from those people with whom, to whom we are related by blood and marriage of course, as families, this is a good time to draw together, uh, not only the nuclear family in one home, but also to keep a special eye on those who are a little more distant from us. And as you say, having some sort of ritual where you do pray for those members of the family, that's a very powerful thing that you can do. I know that all of that really is about the idea of creating or building or developing what might be a positive type of wellspring uh, within your family. When there is a crisis that's going on, you know that people are affected in different ways emotionally, but uh, being the leader of a family, this is an important time to be thinking about how you might create some sort of positive wellspring here, Charles. I agree. Uh I, when the weather is is fine, you know, there's a tendency to get a bit sloppy, isn't there? You know, and to sort of lie on deck, as it were, and enjoy the sun. But um, you know, we use that phrase "ship shape" uh, to to remind us that um, that the weather can change, circumstance can change, and and life is to be lived with a kind of a readiness, and that requires a kind of a wellspring. Where is our strength coming from? And uh, this morning's readings, I, I read the um, um, the uh, revised uh, lectionary uh, readings um, that many churches do, and um, those are my devotional readings. And one of the psalms is Psalm 23 today, interestingly enough. Uh, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And uh, there's n- nothing quite like... Um, finding our way back to that place of relationship with uh, our Creator and our Savior, and uh, and letting our hearts be settled in in the constancy, in the reliability, in the faithfulness of, of God Himself. Everything else changes, and we're being reminded by that. Everything else changes, and this crisis, I think it's a, it's a kind of a very honest moment for us because it 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 strips away the illusions of um of self-sufficiency and ultimately life will bring us to that moment where we are no longer self-sufficient sooner or later we come to that moment and we realize oh goodness i'm reliant upon other people and i in the final analysis i'm reliant upon god and here um this this wonderful psalm reminds us of that, that that actually um, we we make all the provision we can, but in the final analysis, we are in the hands of God, and so um, let's let's not be strangers to Him. Uh, but let's uh, because you know He welcomes us back. He's not waiting to judge us. He's not got a whole string of things in His black book that He's going to talk to us about and give us a whipping over. You know, He's He's He's. That's the amazing thing about the Christian message is that in His Son Jesus Christ, He has reconciled us. The challenge for us is to is to come to is to, to accept that reconciliation emotionally because sometimes we don't feel that that we can, but we can. This is the key thing. The reconciliation is there for us. We have a loving God that has made the peace with us, and let us draw near, and and let crisis um, create one of those. Uh, one of those lasting goods in us, which is the wellspring of our peace and the wellspring of our, of our sense of true identity and the reason for, for living. Charles, always great wise words. 
and the encouragement for all of us to be able to look to ways that we can appropriate that hope that we have in eternity and to be recognised as the power to deal with the consequences, the issues and the challenges of the now. And uh, so many Christian believers, I believe, over the coming times are going to dig deeper and they're going to discover that their faith really has tremendous power in being able to stand against uh, some of the anxiety and some of the uh, issues and threats that come with uh, the current circumstances and the climate and the uh, and the uh, the proliferation of this coronavirus. Charles Newington is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. And uh, my encouragement is uh, visit the website, familyvoice.org.au. There's also, of course, the National Prayer Initiative. And, of course, the coronavirus is called COVID-19. And and, uh, I know that church leaders around the nation have picked up on the idea that uh, 1,900 hours is a good time, whichever time zone you are in, to take a, a time to pray Uh, so that the crisis of the COVID-19 coronavirus will come to an end. Uh, But visit familyvoice.org.au. Charles Newington, always great getting your insights. Thanks so much for uh, great insights once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.